0: We begin the ninth Perek with the topic of annulling vows. Uh, very interesting things that are coming up here. We're going to see a couple of cases in this Mishnah where Rabbi Eli is more lenient, uh, more permissive of annulling uh, vows. And the first case is that one, uh, uh, you go, if someone makes a vow, they can go to a chacham, you have to go to a and the the chacham can find um, a um, a peticha, an opening. This means if an unforeseen circumstance, if you had known that this would be a result of your vow, would you have made a vow? It's kind of like an implicit uh, condition. And if the person says, no, I would not have made the vow, no, if I knew these, this consequence, then the chacham can say, okay, your vow is annulled. So that's called uh, potchin. Uh, so here we do it in, with the honor of his father and mother. And we're talking about a case, uh, really any vow. Um, but the, the chamim say, a vow brings shame upon a person. And people say about this person, look at this person who who makes vows all the time, right? And uh, and they say they speak badly about the person's father and mother. What kind of upbringing did they have? Uh, maybe it must be a terrible upbringing um, that uh, and uh, you know uh, uh, sad. Uh, what a sad lot for a father and mother who has such a child that makes vows now if a person says to the say to the person had you known that your parents would experience public shame because you are making you made this vow would you have made this vow um, so generally we assume people like their parents and don't want their parents to be shamed and so therefore the person uh, assuming he says no oh i would not i would not want my parents to feel shame so then the chacham say okay that's a good enough reason we can undo your vow that's the opinion of the Eliei however chachamim disagree and say no, that does not not the case. So the vow has the undoing of a vow. The finding of a piticha has to relate to the actual subject of the vow, and it can't just be in general that oh, my pair, your parents would have felt shame about it. All right, that's um, first machloket, Um we're gonna add more to this. Amar Sadok, ad shepotchin lo bichvod abiv imo lo bichvod hamakom ken en nedarim. Rabbi Sadok seems to be backing up the Chachamim. And saying, uh, giving a good reason for Khamim, it says, well, instead of making, doing an annulment based on the honor of a person's father and mother, why don't you just go and make an annulment based on the honor of uh, of God? Um, and if you do so, then that will be adam certain, there'll never be a vow. In other words, you can also say to a person, making a vow is a negative thing, right? We saw before, a person's called at a shop. And this, is, uh, this disgraces the honor of God that when the person makes a vow. And so therefore, you can always just go, anytime anyone makes a vow, no matter what the subject, the said Chacham could tell them, if you had known that you would bring dishonor to your creator, would you have made the vow? And so no one's going to say, oh yeah, I would have made it anyway, right? Uh, the person's going to be embarrassed, even though they don't really mean it. Uh, they're going to say, oh no, I would never have done that, even though, right, secretly they might think to themselves that they would have, and therefore the annulment is not a valid annulment. Um, and so there are no, there will never be any nedarim, because you could always easily undo any vow by saying, well, anytime you could make a vow, you're dishonoring God. Would you have wanted to dishonor God? And everybody's going to say no. Okay, the Gemini is going to have, the Bavali here is going to have two explanations of this line, imken and, Im and nedarim. Okay, but I explain this to the Sadok that he is explain he is backing up Chachamim, giving a reason to Chachamim. Uh, there are other people that explain explained the Sadok differently, but I think this is uh, uh, ease, this the Mishnah flows more easily this way. However, even though Chachamim and Rabbi Sadok uh, said uh, that they disagree with Rabbi Eliezer, and they say you cannot use uh, an an allment based on parents and certainly not based on God, and nevertheless, even Chachamim will agree with Rabbi Eliezer that if the subject matter of the vow relates to the relationship between a person's, a person and his parents, then, then you can use a peticha regarding one's, uh, the honor of one's parents. For example, if someone said, uh, God gets into a fight with his parents and says, I make a vow, my parents can never come over. To my house, um, in that case, right? People are going to start talking. Did you hear what this ha- What happened? They got into a fight. He made a vow. Oh, what shame on these parents that they can't go to their son's house. In that case, if the person comes to the chacham and say, you know, I feel bad about this, and says, well, would you have made this vow knowing that your parents would be shamed because everybody's going to be talking about them? How uh, you disinvited them from your home? And he says, no, and then I would never would have made this vow concerning my parents. So, the, so Chachamim agree that if that's the subject of the vow, then fine. So Chachamim do agree that you can use, you can annul vows, uh, but the annulment has to be according to the subject of the vow, not something in general. At this point, it's worth bringing in an amazing Talmud Yerushalmi on this Mishnah, which wonders, how come, it says, Modim Chachamim, they agree with Rabbi Eliezer regarding a father and mother. It doesn't say that they would agree regarding the honor of Hamakom. Uh, how come they don't say, if it's a vow that relates to something, a relationship between a person and Hashem, how come you can't use that annulment and say, if you had known that this would bring shame upon uh, to you from your from uh, your Creator, then you would not have made it. How come they only agree regarding father and mother and not HaMakom? So here, let me just show you to the Yushalmi, and so it, it answers, well, what would be example of Kevod MaKom? Well, what's the example of some uh, vow that someone would make that would uh, diminish from the honor of, uh, of Hamakom for example if he says i'm not going to make a sukkah or makes a vow i'm not going to take a lulav, i'm not going to wear tefillin that would be kavod makom uh, right? Wouldn't that be? This is no. No, in fact, all these things do not diminish anything from God. The person is actually only hurting himself. Um, as the Pasuk says, if you do righteous things, what does, do you give something to God? Does God benefit? Because you did a mitzvah. And if you make a sin, does that diminish from God in any way? God is perfect, unchanging, all Almighty and not God does not need your sacrifices, doesn't need your prayers, doesn't need your good deeds, doesn't need your mitzvot. Hashem does not get elevated or diminished in any way. Rather, the mitzvot, uh, not doing a mitzvah, diminishes the person himself. Um, and therefore, uh, it, does, it will not, since it will not diminish uh, God. So that would not be a way to find a piticha. If you had known this, this would bring shame. Nothing you can do can bring shame. Uh, to the Almighty. So, that's a pretty interesting um, uh, take on the Mishnah, and fits very well with Rambam's understanding of the reasons for Mitzvot, which uh, benefit us, and do not benefit the Creator. Okay. So that's all issue number one uh, regarding undoing vows uh, by using, um, uh, by saying, you know, wouldn't your parents be uh, ashamed if they had no, if if uh, um, uh, by this vow, then would you have undone it? Rabbi Eliezer says, yes, you can use that. Rabbi Sadoch say, no, you cannot, unless that the subject of the vow is a relationship with one's parents. And now the second one is nolad. Ve'odah, Rabbi Eliezer, ben nolad osrim. Rabbi Eliezer says, you can use an unforeseen circumstance, a new situation, or that something that will be born that wasn't yet, and uh, you can use that to annul a vow. Chachamim say you can't. Here's three examples. Kesad, a person says, "I'm not going to have any benefit from that guy. He doesn't get into a fight. Doesn't like him." At that point, he was just a regular guy. And then, uh, um, and then at, uh, uh, sometime later, that person becomes a sofer. A sofer can mean literally, like we say today, he's a scribe, and he's the only scribe in town. He needs him. He has to, he has to buy a mezuzah. He has to write a, a contract. So now, he needs the sofer. So you tell him, right? if you had known that this guy would become a sofer, would you have made the vow, princess? No, I never would have made the vow. I thought he was just a regular guy. Right, he just had a store. So I won't go to his store. I'll go to someone else's store. But if I knew he was going to be a sofed and I would need his services, I would never have made the vow. That's valid. A sofed can also mean uh, a sofed can also mean uh, a sage, a tamid chacham. is also called a sofed or a teacher, divrei sofrim. Um, okay, so it could mean uh, th- those things also, but uh, those also things that someone needs, right? If I knew he was going to be a, a teacher or a chacham and I would have to ask him questions, I never would have made this vow. That's case number one. Or he makes a vow against a certain person and then that person is making a wedding for his son. And so now this the, the, the one who made the vow says, oh, I want to go to the wedding right I didn't realize that he was gonna make a wedding so soon all right I am uh, maybe he didn't know he had a son or the son was uh, you know very young or very old and was wasn't expecting him to be married at any time Uh, it could be that he made the vow let's say missus I'm not gonna have any benefit I'm not gonna have any benefit from that guy for the next uh, month and then uh, and the, the kid was not even going out with anyone. And then all of a sudden, kid finds someone and they get married within a month. So you could say, I didn't, I didn't expect that uh, the kid would be married in a month and then I wouldn't be invited to the wedding. right? They're probably actually friends, but sometimes friends get, get into a fight and says, okay, I'm not, gonna, I'm not coming over to your house. I'm not going to have any benefit from you for a month. And then all of a sudden, there's a wedding within the month, so that would be a valid, according to the Eliezer, that would be a valid reason to annul the vow. I never would have made the vow, kind of like an implicit condition. Or, a third example, In this case also, um, someone says, I'm not going into this house. At the time that he made the vow, it was a private house of some guy that he knew and he got into a fire. He says, I'm, not coming, I'm never coming into this house. And all of a sudden, the house was turned into a Bet Knesset. Whatever, he sold it or he opened a breakaway Minyan there. And now, he wants to be able to come to this Bet Knesset and, uh, and pray there. So, then he could come to the Chacham, and says uh, the Chacham him, If you had known that this uh, house here would become Bet Knesset, would you have made a vow? The says, no, I never would have made a vow knowing that. So, in that case, we, we, Rabbi Eliezer would call it an implicit condition. And therefore, the vow does not apply, and we can annul the vow in that way. Chachamim, however, said, this does not work. Uh, why would Chachamim disagree? Perhaps because these are things that are uh, rare occurrences, right? How how What are the chances? How many people, How many times does a house uh, get turned into a Bet Knesset? And so therefore, you might might be that even at the time that he made the vow, if you were told, if you would tell him, listen, you know, uh, maybe this house will be a Bet Knesset. The, the person making the vow will say, oh, that's so far-fetched. Not, what, what are the chances, right? One in uh, 10,000 chance that this will be a Bet Knesset. You know, I'm, I'll make the vow anyway, right? So therefore, since, uh, most people would make the vow anyway, since there's very little chance that such a thing would happen. Therefore, you cannot use this to undo the vow, right? What are the chances that some uh, uh, regular guy off the street is going to be all of a sudden become a sofer, right? Or that uh, right, this, this kid who uh, wasn't even going out with anyone is going to get married within a month. So these are all uh, unforeseen, rare circumstances. And the person actually made a, maybe would have made the vow even knowing it so that's why chachamim are more stringent. Alright now the Gamada asks en nedarim what is this line that was said and according to the way we interpret it in the in the mouth of the B sadok uh, that said uh, it, that, that that asked the question according to, to the B Eliezer, if you're going to uh, no vows Based on the idea that, oh, this if you made this vow, did you know that it would bring shame to your father and mother? Would you still do it? The person says, no, I wouldn't have done it. And Abish Sadokam says, um, says, no, that's no good. You can't do that because that's the same as you can un- undo any vow, right? If you make a vow, did you know this will bring dishonor to God? The person says, oh, I never would have done that. You can't allow, uh, you can't uh, null no vows based on this, because if you do that, there will never be a neder. So what does that mean that there'll be ne- never be a neder? So Bayer explains that it's not that the, ne- there will be nederim. A person can make a neder, and it will be binding. His The, the meaning of the statement is that nederim will not be annulled in a proper way, because... The Chacham is going to tell a person, you know, would you have made this knowing that you'd bring shame to your creator? So no one would have be, it's very intimidating, right? Nobody would would, would say, yes, I would have made it even though it brings shame to my my creator. Yes, I would have known I'd done it even if it would bring shame to my parents. And nobody's so impudent that they're going to say such a thing, and so they're going to say they're going to they would lie and say, "Oh, I never would have made the vow," even though in their mind they're thinking, "You know what? I really still would have made the vow. I really hate that guy. I really I still would have done it," and therefore the hakham is going to annul the vow, but based on false pretenses, and the annulment is not going to be a proper annulment, and that's the reason. So they have to find a, regu- a more regular reason. Right? Would you have made this vow? Um, you know, knowing. Uh, the, that the consequence would be so difficult for you, and so right the person really has to think about it and say, "Oh, you know, you know, then I, I really wouldn't have. So it has to be some kind of case where, um, uh, where the the person would would tell the truth, and this, the, the shame, is too much, and the person would not admit the truth. Okay, that's one. No, that's not the thing. Uh, the problem is that if you allow a chacham to use the shame of the parents or shame of God in or by, to undo vows, then a person will no longer come to a chacham at all. Because remember, oh, the last uh, few times I had, a, I had a, I made a vow, I went to the chacham, he said, oh, if you knew that your parents would be shamed by you, would you still do it? I said, no, I wouldn't have done it, right? And he gets the pattern. So the next time he says, I don't have to go to the Chacham. I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, if I have brought shame to my parents, I wouldn't have done it. And so I wouldn't have done it, right? And I wouldn't want to bring shame to my parents. I don't have to do the Chacham. I know what he's going to say. I'll undo it myself. But that doesn't work. You can't annul your own vow. You have to go to a Chacham, right? Uh, that's, that's the process. And so that's what Ravah says, the Chacham should shouldn't use this across-the-board type of um, uh, annulment because then the person will not come to Kham himself, rather the Chacham has to use more specific ones. That person says, oh, see, he knows what he's doing. I better go to the Chacham the next time to see uh, how he can help me with this particular uh, case. All right, so now we're going to ask a question to Ravah. Based on this Mishnah, Tenan Umodin Chachamim LeRabbi Eli Az Be'Davar SheBenol Ben Abi VeImo ShePotchin Lo Bichvod Abi VeImo So the continuation of our Mishnah says that Rabbi Eliezer Chalim agreed to Rabbi Eliezer that if the subject matter of the vow has to do with one's parents, like a person said, uh, "My parents can't come over to my house anymore." In that case, you can use the um, the, the you can use the honor of one's parents as part as the reason for annulment. Now, let's see. Uh, would, does this make sense according to both opinions? We, this would make sense according to Abaye, who says that if so, the annulment is not going to be undone in a proper way uh, because most people are not so impudent That they would say, um, yeah, I would have made a a, a vow against my parents uh, anyway. Um, So if it's a vow that has nothing to do with one's parents, the person just says, I'm not going to eat meat for the next five years. Um, And then it goes to the Chacham and said, you know, everybody's uh, talking about how you made this vow. And it's bringing shame to your parents. Would you have made the vow? Now, maybe the person in his mind is saying, I really would have made the vow, but he doesn't want to admit out loud that he would bring shame to his parents. So he says, no, even though really he would have. So that's, that was uh, a um, problem, and that applies to vows about any other subject. But if the vow was against his own parents, he said, my parents can never come over to my house. Well, that shows that he is impudent and he would bring shame to his parents. That's why he made the vow in the first place. In that case, if he comes to the Chacham and, say, and the Chacham says, would you have made this vow uh, that, say, that you said that your parents can never come to your house? Would you have made this knowing you would bring, bring shame on your parents? this guy would say yes that's precisely the reason i made the vow i wanted to bring shame to my parents right that's why he made the vow he was angry at them and so uh, in this case if he says oh you know what i didn't i didn't really bring mean to mean to bring shame upon my parents i was just saying it out of anger i just you know didn't want them to come over but i didn't mean to shame them publicly so if he says that then he really means it because if he didn't really mean it, then he would say, right? He didn't have no problem making a vow against his parents. He would have no problem um, telling the chacham that he would have made the vow anyway, despite the shame. And so, in this case, he is. If, he, if we do believe him. If he says he wouldn't have made it, uh, then uh, 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 he wouldn't have made it, knowing it brings shame. Then we know that he's sincere. So this uh, line makes sense according to Abaye. But according to Rava, his reason was if we're going to allow um, uh, unnulling a vow, Based on shame of parents, and that, and then once we do it a few times, people are going to stop coming to the chacham at all. So according to dava, that should apply across the board. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is, even if the subject matter is about one's parents, right? People will still get the idea. Oh, did you know? Right, your parents are going to be shamed, and then also people will stop coming to the chacham, won't they? So Ravah how are you can explain that line of Rabbi Sadok? And the answer is, since um, most all other nedarim, um, it's uh, it's not sufficient to go to a chacham. Here, they can broach, uh, they, they they can uh, use this as a piticha. In other words, since the Chacham is only going to use this strategy when the subject of the vow is regarding one's parents, so the Chacham not going to be using it all the time. He's only going to be using it in these few cases. In all other cases, it's not gonna, this is not going to work to just assume, oh, my parents would be shamed, and the sages are not using it. So since in all other cases, um, one knows, well, I have to go to the sage because this, um, if, um, if I uh, vow I'm not going to eat meat, uh, then um, I know the sage is not going to ask me about my parents. He's going to say, you know, did you know that when you're uh, on, on uh, a given occasion and you're going to want to eat meat, did you have that in mind? Um, so he's going to say something that's particular to the, to the subject of the, of the vow, right? So since in all other uh, vows, it would not be sufficient to not go to a chacham, and we're only using this strategy for Um, uh, vows have to do with one's parents so then in general he'll still continue going to the Chacham and he's not going to um, abuse that and so there's no problem so therefore we can explain that line of the Mishnah according to both Rava and Abayeh so we have no problem. Okay, we go to the next section. Okay, where something is a new situation. Apparently, as it says, we can we can take that into account. So the source of Rabbi Eliezer is from Moshe Rabenu when Moshe was in Egypt and he saw. The two men fighting, and he goes and he um uh and uh, he sees the Egyptian that's uh, uh harming the uh, Israelite, and he goes and kills the Egyptian, and then he hears, oh, there's people that from from Parah that are looking to kill you, so then he had to run away. Okay, so it goes to Yitro. Now, it doesn't say the following in the, in the Torah, but on the next stuff where it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, mention the derivation, um, it says that we're going to derive that Moshe made a vow to Yitro, his father-in-law, that he's not going to leave and go back to Egypt. Um, he's gonna stay. You know, Yitzhak was like, What? You're here just because you ran away? Well, then you're gonna marry my daughter, then you're gonna, then you're gonna go back home. So Moshe says, No, I'm, I'm making a vow. I'm gonna stay here with you and uh, with your daughter and bring up a family here. So Moshe made a vow. And now, in order to go back home, he would have to first annul the vow. So here's what Avchisda said. The Pasuk says that all the people that were seeking to kill you have died. Now, this the death of the people seeking to kill you is a new situation. And so based on that, he was able to annul his vow. In other words, um, Moshe um, went to a Chacham, or I don't know who he went to, um, uh, but uh, uh, he was able to annul the vow based on um, someone saying to Moshe, Hey Moshe, would you have made this vow knowing that the people that were about to, that were running after you to kill you would die? Uh, and so right, it's not unusual. I don't know how old the people were that, that, that were running after but right? usually they're going to stick around for you know if they're the same age as Moshe, then they'll going to be alive um, uh, while Moshe is alive. So when he made the vow, he assumed that the people wanted to kill him would be alive. For his whole life too, and so he would never go back. But now, all of a sudden, new, new situation, unexpected news that those people died young, and so now the the uh, coast is clear, and he can go back. Would you have made the vow that you're never going to go back to Egypt, um, uh, uh, and helped out your nation and done anything, um, had the uh, knowing that these people died? I says no, I never would have made the vow. So that's why Moshe was able to annul his vow. And that's why he was able to go back. So you see, from here, Rabbi Eliezer derives that you are, you can annul a vow based on a new situation. Good. What are you going to do with that? That sounds like a good proof. So, um, the Chachamim can answer based on a different Midrash of Rabbi Yochanan, in um, the name of Rashbi, that whenever we see Nisim and Nitzabim, so these two uh, words uh, are referring to the first case is Nisim, the two men uh, who were fighting, That's the two Israelites who were fighting that we read about in the second Pedek. And Nitzavim, this refers to, here we can see the Pesukim, after Moshe and Aharon go to Paro and say, let my people go. And they say, oh, you're asking for freedom? You must have too much time on your hands. So now the people have to make the same amount of bricks and they're not going to give them hay and so then the people came and complained right the israelites themselves they they confronted moshe and standing in front of them and uh and they said right look they made our situation worse so these nitzavim who are they and who are those nitzim who are those people that originally were fighting these are none other than datan Viram. but datan Viram did not die because we see that they continue in the in the in the, in the rest of the the story and um and the rest of the Torah, they're still alive. So you see, it's actually not true that they died. So what does it mean that, uh, ki metu? They, they, didn't, they didn't literally die. It means that they lost their property. They became poor. And so that was a kind of death uh, in the sense that when someone's rich, then they, people, they gain credibility. For some reason, people think that if someone's rich, then they, then you should uh, ask for their wisdom and they know what they're talking about. That was only true back then. Today, that doesn't happen. Uh, And so when they, when they became poor, then they stopped being uh, respected uh, by the, by the people around them. So it was like they died. They died. Their, their uh, status died. Um, so then literally died they were still around so therefore you see it was not a new situation and so therefore you cannot learn from there that you can undo a vow based on a new situation. Um, so that's, uh, that's how Rabanan read that story. Okay, this Midrash is interesting that where you know we have these unknown people, that uh, some people came and were fighting. Some people came to Moshe. The Midrash always likes to take anonymous people and associate them with people whose names we know. This is a good example of uh, filling in that gap by saying, oh, well, we know Datan Vaviram, they were troublemakers. So anytime we see troublemakers before, um, let's assume that they were also Datan Vaviram. All right, we ended up with one last agada that supports this idea that someone who goes from riches to poverty is uh, experiences something like death. So we're gonna add other people who have an experience of death, although not literally. Someone who has no children is considered like they're dead. Vim from what Achil says to Yaakov, right, give me children or else I am dead. Not literally that she's dead. I mean you could explain that she's gonna kill herself or something. Um, but she doesn't say that. She says, "I am dead if I don't have children." So someone who has no children is considered like dead. The bacha Met. A says, "Is for people who are considered like they're dead." Ani, someone who's in, uh, who's impoverished, right, is always worried about their next meal. It's uh, it's not a way to live. So that would support what um, uh, the support the that we just had. Um, someone who has uh, the skin disease, a terrible, uh, uh, painful skin disease. Soma, someone who's blind. Umisha en lobanim, and someone who has no children, which is what Ribal said. Ani kemetu koha anashim. How do we know a poor person? Because of the, didashah we just said, that says the people that were seeking to kill you have died. If that is indeed Vatan Vavidam, they weren't dead. So it must be that they became poor, and that's why they're, now they're considered like dead. Mesora diktiv Um. Uh. When Miriam uh gets mitzora, so then Aaron says to Moshe, says, "Let pray for her. Let her not be like a dead person." Well, she wasn't dead. She just had this disease where you know skin becomes all scaly and looks like it's all decayed, right? So, like a dead person. (laughs) In Echa, it says Hashem has brought me into a dark place. Um, and uh, uh, like, like I'm living among those who are dead. Uh, this, by the way, can have halachic significance. For example, is one allowed to, to desecrate Shabbat in order to save one's eyesight, even if it's not life-threatening. Uh, so this would be a consideration uh, to say that, uh, well, if, uh, if becoming blind is like, uh, is like being dead, then that would also be considered pikuach nefesh. And the, the last one, same as the source that Rabbi Yoshe Levi said, but he's not mora. Now we have it in a in baraita as well. Rachel said, if I don't have children, I am like dead. I am, I, I, it's like I am dead. And therefore, someone who has no children has no future and uh, therefore is also considered as if they are dead. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen v'amen.